2: Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 21. As ever, your company is gratefully appreciated. My name is Ben Stanfield, at ben Stannis from Twitter, and in less than surprising news, Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at the Southern Daily Echo, is alongside me and I hope ready for action. Adam, how are we doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, all well, thank you. How about you? Yeah, I think ticking over, another frustrating result, and uh, trying to uh, drum up some enthusiasm to do the podcast, but I'm sure between us we can get through it. I forgot to ask in the last episode, Adam, whether you'd set yourself any New Year's resolutions uh No. <laughs> no, that's a very boring
3: answer, isn't it? I, d- I, don't, I don't really go for New Year's resolutions, particularly. How about you?
2: Um, do you know, I actually decided to keep the same one that I had last year, which was that uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I, I said at the start of last year, bearing in mind we were struggling a bit football-wise, that I wouldn't let negative football results get me down too much. And bearing in mind the situation we find ourselves in this time, uh, this year, I've actually decided that that's probably a good one to keep because it's important that I don't let that affect how I spend time with my children, all those sort of things. So through gritted teeth last night after the Watford game, whilst my head was thinking about a million and one handballs, I was uh, very enthusiastically playing with the children, which I thought was a good start.
3: Oh, that's amazing. 14 days and you're still going.
2: I know. And I'm probably going to need to keep it up for the next five months, I think. But there we go. So <laughs> there we go. Cool. Well, before we go on, in light of quite a few new listeners, followers that we've had the privilege of welcoming to Total Saints over the past month or so, I thought I'd quickly refresh on how you can keep in touch with and or contact us if you wished. There's a few ways now, actually. Um, we're on Twitter at Total Saints Pod. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Total Saints Pod. Or you can email Adam and myself at Total Saints Podcast at Yahoo.com. So that's Total Saints Podcast at Yahoo.com. In terms of listening to either of our current or previous podcast episodes, there's several options to do that as well. Uh, we're on the iTunes Store. You can just search, unsurprisingly, on Total Saints Podcast, where you can download and listen to our previous episodes for free. We're on SoundCloud.com, as you well know. Again, you're starting to see a theme here. You can search on Total Saints Podcast and that will bring up all of the available episodes on there. And lastly, we're on ACAST. So we've just uh, gone on there at a request of one of our listeners. ACAST.com slash Total Saints Of course, we're always open to hearing about other technological facilities that suit your listening convenience as well. So if you do have any preferred options or recommended sites, then please let us know. And we'll look into how easy it is for us to get set up on them, bearing in mind our minimal budget. Right, this week's podcast. We'll discuss the most recent game against Watford up at Vicarage Road and also look ahead to next week's fixture at Fortress St. Mary's versus Tottenham. In the middle of all of that, we're going to undertake one of our ever-popular Ask Adams, where we fire a handful of listener questions at Adam, who, as the consummate professional Adam, provides rapid and pertinent answers.
3: Oh, absolutely. I'm, I am I am ready. I am I feel like I'm a contestant on a game show, so I, I'm <laughs> ready, and my answers will be incredibly relevant.
2: <laughs> now, just before we move on to discuss the Watford game, you may have seen this week on our Twitter and Facebook feeds, I put a, a bit of a shout-out out to say that we'd hit 10,000 listeners um mark of our podcast via SoundCloud so we'd had over 10,000 listens of our various episodes now. It's a great achievement and one that uh, we're very much appreciative for. Over the past seven days alone, we've had over 1,000 listens to the various podcast episodes. In fact, our last episode, episode 20, which George and Luke were on, is now our second most listened to episode ever after the very first one that Adam and I did back in August. So just wanted to say thanks again to Luke and George for joining us for that. Um, The feedback on last week's episode ranged from sort of very well balanced and constructive to someone saying that it descended a little bit into the blokes down the pub. I just wanted to say, I guess really before we moved on that whilst we of course value all of the feedback we get the podcast is only ever based on our opinion of certain situations and circumstances we'd certainly never proclaim to represent the views of every fan because I guess as we know Adam football is a, a game of opinions really isn't it and, and and that'll always be the beauty of it.
3: Yeah absolutely and that's for me that I, I've i had a career thanks to um, the fact that people want to have opinions and to read opinions and to debate opinions and that is always the beauty of football, and and they're never the same. And it's interesting that um it's a line you quite often hear from the current Saints manager as well uh, when he talks about opinions and uh, and criticism that he's getting as well. And in, in that it is a game of opinions, and that's that's why we all love it, and that's why we all want to go and we want to talk about it, isn't it?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, I, I get the feeling that this episode may well be full of cliches in a minute, but there we go. Um, right, let's crack on. This is episode twenty-one of the Total Saints podcast. <laughs> typical Saints fashion this season Watford was very much a game of two halves as our first cliche Adam as we raced into a well-deserved 2-0 half-time lead before again dropping deep and inviting pressure which eventually saw Watford get an equaliser in the last minute of time albeit in very controversial circumstances which we'll go on to discuss in a moment let's start with the positives Adam a fantastic first half performance really
3: yeah I, absolutely fantastic I, I that's I couldn't put it bare myself really it was it was really good it was really encouraging I think what was interesting. Um, for me, it was on on Thursday before the game. I was at, at Staplewood as usual, speaking to Pellegrino, uh pre-match. Um, you know what? He was in a, a. He's quite a, obviously, as everybody knows now, he's not like a, a big overbearing character. But he was in a, a comparatively buoyant mood. I felt I really hadn't seen him probably quite so confident um, since he'd been at Saints, which seems odd given everything that's been going on. But I think. Um, he was pretty happy with uh, how well prepared the team were. Uh, I think he was happy with how well focused they are as well. I think there was a few um, comments that he made that I think if you wanted to read between the lines, it, it suggested a much more settled atmosphere since the Van Dyke situation had been sorted out and an acceptance I think he was suggesting within the squad as well that they are in a relegation fight now. And that means rolling up your sleeves and and getting stuck in and so on and so forth. Uh, So he was in a he was in a a very good mood and they really took to the front foot in the first half against Watford. And it was a very, very impressive first 45 minutes. And there was players there playing like we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, Shane Long was absolutely superb. Ward Prowse obviously got another two goals. That's that's three in a couple of weeks. And we've always criticised him, saying that's the element, major element of his game that's missing. Uh, they were strong at the back as well. I thought Wesley Hood was excellent in the first half, in particular. Just a really good, vibrant uh, performance. They were they were pressing much higher up the pitch than we've seen before. It was it was all very positive. It was all very very much in keeping with with the mood. Um, that Pellegrino had adopted before the game and and you just thought wow you know he obviously had sensed something and sensed it correctly so yeah stop the game at half time and you'll be very very happy.
2: I was going to mention about James Ward-Prowse you you said there just, just before we sort of move on to the second half but one of the sort of criticisms of him over the last two three four years I guess is that he hasn't necessarily added goals to his game you know that's been one thing that's been missing really so I guess it's good to see him starting to step up and okay it's just three goals and it's only two games but you know for someone like him that should be getting forward and scoring more goals whatever happens now this season that's hopefully going to give him a bit more confidence to actually start scoring some goals and adding some you know that that string to his bow
3: yeah and also I think for everybody else's point of view it, it is good to be able to hold him accountable as well to that I mean he's admitted it it's not as if it's a great secret he's a as most people know, he's a very intelligent young man. He's uh, very thoughtful and articulate and he, he knows only too well that he needs to be scoring more goals and he knows he's got the technical ability to do it. Um, and there's absolutely no reason that, that he shouldn't be uh, delivering more goals, especially as he does get himself into quite a lot of good positions as well. That's, uh, that's excluding set pieces, but in open play. And so now you can hold him accountable as well, because you can't turn around and say he can't do it now because clearly he can do it. Uh, Saints have been missing goals from the attacking uh, midfield area for a long time. That's no great secret. We've talked about it quite a bit as well. And there's quite a few players that need to be providing them. And James Ward-Prowse is one of those. And hopefully he can just keep this going now. And he becomes a much more regular contributor to the uh, goals scored column.
2: Just finally on Shane Long, you mentioned him there as well. I just wanted to pick up on that. He obviously did a lot of good work down the wings yesterday. Bearing in mind, Saints have obviously been looking for a bit of a pacey wing, you know there's been links to walcott who looks like he could buff to everton for example bearing in mind shane Long's kind of been stuck up in the middle of the pitch on his own quite a lot when he's played this season do you think that's potentially an option that if they are going to bring in an attacker let's say a striker like the guy from monaco or whatever that could potentially be an option for them to now seriously consider him and his pace out on the wing because he's done that job before
3: yeah, and I don't mind him out there, but I don't honestly think it's something that, that they're looking at as a first choice option, really. I, I would be surprised if they went down that route. I mean, we could talk about it a bit more due course, perhaps, but I'm not convinced that the Walcott deal is totally dead at this stage. Um So I still think there might be some some legs in that one. And I think that Saints in an ideal world would like to get a striker and another attacking midfielder. Um, as two signings for this window, if they could, if they could get them through the door. Uh, so I think they're still looking at that. I don't think that they ideally want to play long out wide. I think they would rather stick with the wide options that they've got. But but it is an option, and he proved yesterday he runs the channels very well. The running the channels as uh, as a striker is very different to to playing as an out and out wide player, where you've got obviously other commitments going the other way as well. But he's a energetic player. He's got a lot of uh, pace. He's got a lot of quality as well. We all know that the finishing obviously has been the one thing that's been um, lacking in the last year or so. Uh, But it was an excellent performance from him, I thought, in that first half. They really couldn't handle him and and just Saints' attacking uh, ability, albeit Watford were dreadful. So, Again, another thing that bodes that well for the future, and and again, another player I think in long that at this time when you're struggling, he's an important type of player because everybody knows he's a he's a good character, he's a real trier. he's a real battler. All right, you might turn around and go, oh, he's not he's not absolutely top quality in front of goal. Uh, And that's fair enough. But right now, Saints are in a dogfight and they need people who are going to roll up their sleeves and get stuck in and not just shrug their shoulders and and not worry. And Shane Long certainly is one of those who's going to get stuck in. So he's a good man to have when the chips are down, I think.
2: So we head in half-time, 2-0 up. Well on our way to much-needed three points. Everyone's buoyant. They've seen a fantastic first half. And then, as ever, Adam, it all goes slightly wrong. I guess I've mentioned it before, but I'm I'm sort of one of those people that very much believes in attack being the the best form of defence. You know, not going gung-ho, obviously, but I think if you continue to push a team lacking confidence backwards, like Watford, I mean, you said there they were pretty poor first half. Obviously, they changed it with Deeney, but if you keep pushing them back a bit, you should probably go on to win that game convincingly. Um, what what is, is going on with Saints in the second half of games this season? Because it was another case of dropping back and trying to defend a league-type performance that we already know this season from numerous occasions. We we just can't do it.
3: Yeah, um uh, you know what? I think it's two things. I think obviously there's one question, which is the the tactical element of it, which is the Pellegrino uh, element of it. And then there's also the mental element of it. And I think it's the the, the shorter you are on confidence and belief. I think the deeper you drop, it's a, it's a subconscious thing. And as hard as you might try to, to not get into that mindset, I think it's inevitable. And you see it all the time with teams that are really struggling that. And, and a low on confidence. They do drop deeper and deeper. Uh, you don't keep the ball, which is something else against Palace in the second half and against, um, Watford at, uh, at the weekend in the second half. Just not keeping the ball again. Just, you know, hopeless long balls straight out. And when the, the opposition are prepared to go very direct, uh, which Watford are, all you're doing is you, you get, you kind of clear your lines, but because you're so deep, Uh, you're just giving the ball straight back to their defence and you've just been having it shelled back at you again. Um, And that's kind of how it goes. And and actually, you need to get 10 yards further up the pitch. You need to be further up and and playing and trying to stay on the front foot if you can. Um, Specifically on Watford, uh, I asked Pellegrino after the game about about the sort of change in the second half and the tactics. Obviously, Watford have brought on uh, Troy Deeney. Clearly, they were going to go much more direct. They later... uh, made another switch and brought on Akaka. And, and obviously, th- at that point, it was uh, it was certainly route one, uh, to say mm. the least. Um, and he did the kind of thing that a lot of managers do. So he dropped Romeo, uh deeper to to effectively try and screen the back four to try and cut out some of that aerial threat before it even reached Dini. The problem was that then, with Romelu dropping deeper, Tadic dropped a lot deeper to try and almost fill in the gaps in the center of the the park where Romeo had been. And all of a sudden, you you effectively had pretty much everybody very, very deep behind the ball. There was no outlet, nobody really able to up there to be able to hold the ball up, nobody able to keep possession. And so Saints just kept giving the ball away again and again and again. So the pressure becomes relentless and it almost becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're so deep. But you can't keep possession. So the ball just keeps coming back more and more and more. And then you've got to weigh up when you're watching it, how much of this is tactical. Uh, Obviously, Pellegrino made that decision to drop Rebaillu deeper um, and and whether that's a mistake or not. And how much of it is the confidence being shot in the players and them just getting increasingly nervous? And when you get nervous, you kind of don't really want the ball. You're happy just to get rid of it. You drop deeper because, you know, subconsciously you feel like, oh, the deeper we are, the the harder it is for them to score. They can't get in behind us, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I think the two things probably do go hand in hand uh, to a certain extent. It was a real shame yesterday because Saints were so positive in the first half and it felt like it was going to be a big day and a real turning point. And for, for it to end like that, was just was just really I felt quite crushing for them and and I hope that they can take the positives out of it and I hope that they don't just get uh, relentlessly hammered over the next week by uh, by by too much negativity because uh, I don't think that's going to do them any good I think that's only going to they're going to going to shoot their confidence down even further and and I think that is part of the problem
2: I think the trouble is for fans certainly myself I can speak for is that it felt like a defeat I think that's the the thing you know you play that well and even though they got a point which arguably we would have taken before the game you know if you can pick up points away from home and win your home games albeit we're struggling to do that then you've got a chance. But I think the biggest issue is that it felt like a defeat. So I think that's unfortunately what then ensues a load of negativity again. But the other thing I was going to ask, Adam, you mentioned their sort of tactical, and obviously that's an element of it. But I wondered about fitness as well. I've seen a few people sort of question that over the last few weeks with Saints in terms of their fitness. I'm not necessarily just saying running around in terms of physicality, but maybe in the mind as well? Well, perhaps. But
3: again, I think... um very hard to judge the physicality and the actual fitness levels um from the outside i think it's that's actually a very difficult call and you you just have to trust i think that the club's sports science uh, department like all premier league sports science department is absolutely massive they've got state-of-the-art technology they should the, there is absolutely no excuse for the players not to be very very fit and they should have all the data to back up that they're as fit as anybody else so i think you just have to kind of trust that that's happening because it's very hard to from the outside to say otherwise in terms of mentally again I think it comes back to confidence and belief you have that extra yard of pace uh, when you're confident when you're when you're buoyant when you when you are on the front foot and when you're struggling it, it kind of goes you're a bit more sluggish mentally you're a bit you know it's not it's not for want of trying you almost begin to get I think this is part of the problem at the moment with Saints is they're so lacking in belief you almost begin to get a little bit paralyzed by it and that affects you physically uh, that you're not as sharp as you as you should be mentally which means you're not as sharp as you are physically and I think that is part of the problem but I honestly believe that this is a a confidence and a belief thing and it's only the sort of thing that you turn around with better results.
2: Evidently the equalizer is a well in the nicest way an absolute disgrace I guess both in terms of Decorah clearly handballing it in and then obviously all of the officials somehow managing to miss it between them. There's been a lot of talk over the last 24 hours about VAR. Obviously, we're talking about it because we've been impacted by a poor decision and therefore we want it to to be in the game. But bearing in mind the constant focus on Premier League officials that we have, Adam, and the amount of money in the Premier League and I guess the future, whether Saints are in the Premier League or not, you know, if you're thinking about the next 12, 18, 24 months, How, how important is it that VAR is indeed introduced, do you think?
3: Well, I think I think it's inevitable. Uh, It's it's really is belated, isn't it, that it's happening. It should probably have happened a long time ago. I'm I'm only amazed, really, that there's probably not been even greater uproar um, in terms of uh, potential legal cases brought against decisions that have cost teams huge amounts of money or incredibly uh, dearly, especially when the technology is available there, because it feels like we live in in an increasingly litigious time and and that sport is uh, certainly no stranger to that either. I know it's more of an American thing to go down that route, but I think inevitably when you've got the technology there, you need to use it. And I've I've always been sort of an advocate of you either have to use the technology to get decisions right, or you need to not be using the technology as much for Sky TV, for example, or, or when you're watching a game live, it seems ludicrous that we can sit at home and, and watch 20 angles um, in incredibly slow motion, trying to pick apart a decision, and yet the referee gets one moment in, in the blink, of the, which comes and goes in the blink of an eye, where even if he's a good official, he could be obstructed by somebody else, and so not be able to see it properly, and he has to make that decision there, and then we can all sit at home. and the pundits in the studio are some of the worst with all the technology slamming referees and saying how terrible they are and what a disgrace their decisions are Um, when they've got the benefit of of all this technology i mean it, it just seems absolutely bonkers to me that that they haven't there's been no thought that either you need to use the technology in the game to make it better or you which which is the obvious answer or the retrograde step, which was you need to have less technology to prove how badly the, the, some of the decisions are going. Because it doesn't seem really a particularly level playing field for the referees and the officials either. And, and they've got a difficult enough job as it is. Yeah, maybe they should have spotted it yesterday. I have to say our view is poor. We were we sit at uh, Watford. We were sort of in the towards the Saints fans who are right up the opposite corner to where the goal went in. So it's not exactly the best view at all uh, of the incident, but at the time I can't say that where where we were sat it looked like an obvious handball at all. It didn't. I mean, the first I really thought, oh, hang on, was when I saw Cedric uh, Suarez and his reaction, which was so emphatic. It was one of those, you know, when you watch players, you can kind of get that that feeling of whether they're just trying to mug off the officials or, or whether they genuinely believe something. And he, he seems so adamant that it was handball that at that point I suddenly thought, blimey, I bet he's handled this in because I don't think he would be going this nuts if it was just like a bit of a lame appeal. Um, And sure enough, that that's how it proved, but it is hard. Like I said, in that one blink of an eye, all right from a poor vantage point, which we had to me, I didn't think it was handball. Obviously it was, it clearly was, but the referees only get, gets that blink of an eye to make the decision.
2: I guess it sounds a little bit bitter, and there's certainly been some bits around about it today, but do you think if it had been a a Man United and Mourinho moaning about it, or a Klopp and Liverpool moaning about it, there'd there'd be a lot more of of an outcry to get VAR installed? you know, To be credit, I thought Pellegrino was very diplomatic afterwards, considering it was two massive points dropped for him and the pressure that he's under. So do you think it it probably doesn't help that Saints are quite an unfashionable club, and therefore it will almost get swept under the carpet a little bit?
3: Uh, well there would be more focus on it there it would be more intense if there was if there was more riding on it at the top end of the table one of the big clubs there would be more on it in the media but i don't i don't think it would necessarily start some kind of campaign that it it has to come in and it has to come in now because one of the big clubs has has been robbed of a decision i think it's just increasing evidence uh that that needs to happen i don't necessarily buy the um that Saints, uh, you know, people just don't, won't care because it's Southampton. Yeah, people care a bit less because it's Southampton, but I still think people watch match of the day and they see poor decisions and, and the league as a whole needs it. Um, let's be fair, there have been decisions this season that have gone against a few of the big clubs as well, where VAR might have changed, uh, changed the ruling uh, as well. So I think it's just an increasing uh, mountain of evidence that's piling up that, um that it it probably needs to come in. It needs to be I think I agree Pellegrino I agree with everything Pellegrino said about it. And I thought he handled himself again uh with great dignity after the game. I agree. Um very very impressed with him after the after the game and his comments. Again, I, I think he's doing a he's doing a remarkable job actually of holding himself together in such difficult circumstances. But yeah, I, I completely agree with his pre match comments about VAR we can't just bring it in it needs to come in, I think, but we can't just bring it in willy-nilly just because of a few incidents. It needs to come in. We need to work out a proper and analyse how it works and find a proper system for it to work out a proper uh, way. that w- Are we going to have appeals like in cricket? Um, are we going to have some other way of doing it? Are we going to have what we saw in the uh, League Cup and the FA Cup recently? All that, I think, needs to be needs to be thought about we need to trial it and analyze it and come up with the best system but i think now the genie's out of the bottle and now it's starting to be used it's just inevitable it's going to happen but i think we really need to make sure we get the system right and the system in which it's going to be used the context in which it's used correct because if we don't i think there is there is still a danger that it could kind of spoil the game as a spectacle so i think it's important that that balance is right before it's brought in uh, fully
2: just to finish on Watford then, in summary, it's now 11 points lost by Saints from winning positions this season, Adam, and just one gained at home to Newcastle when they've been behind. And as a fan, there's worryingly how much uh, similarities there are between this season and the 04-05 season when Saints got relegated. I mean, even yesterday, it sort of reminded me a bit of that Everton home game where Saints play really, really well, and Marcus Bent popped one in in the last minute to make it two. And again, Saints should have won. And you know, the, the more you look at it, the statistics are starting to say that it's it's going to be a pretty nervy end to the season. now.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, we've we've been talking about it and suspecting it for a few weeks, but it's it's hard to see how it's not going to be nervy. I mean, that there is still the chance. Obviously, two or three wins, and, and we know how tight the table is. You'll suddenly be, you know, put, pushed up back into a mid-table and, and being able to take a bit of a a deep breath again and and take stock. But where Saints are now, where their confidence is, it does remind me of the season they were relegated. There's obviously been a lot of parallels, um, all those winnable home matches early in the season that didn't yield the points that they should have done. Uh, We all remember that very well. Obviously at that point they did change the manager. Things did get better under Harry, but um, the kind of fixture list was against them and also the one thing is talking about confidence and belief the rot had set in, and that's kind of my point once once you're gone mentally, it's hard to get it back. I think the they've got uh, really two chances: one is that they completely turn it around by their own own means and and the other one is that they recruit really well in this transfer window, and the new signings prove to be the catalyst and and that turns it around because I think as it as it is as it's going along. Um, I'm not saying they're going to get relegated. It's obviously very tight. There's a lot, a lot of teams in it now, but they're in trouble, aren't they? And after Tottenham at the weekend, they've got really a massive two games then. Uh, Once the Cup game's out of the way, I mean, you've been off the Cup game. Forget that. Um, To be honest with you, at this stage, I would say to him, if I was advising Pellegrino, um, as much as you might feel like you need a win... I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk anybody. I'd almost fess up. I'd front it up before the fans and probably go, look, come if you want, but we're not going to play a very strong team. Yeah. Um, come and see the next generation of players because in the days after that, we've got to play Brighton and West Brom. Yeah. And if if they didn't beat Spurs and those two games went badly, you'd be feeling that you were down probably. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to you've got to prioritise those games. And it's a big point in the season. Is it March? The games where they're playing all those teams. All the way from home, the clubs that are around them, there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge in this season. Um, but but again, I come back to the point that I, I've made continually uh, when people have said to me all the time about changing the manager. Well, we discussed it in some depth. I won't retread it all next week, but I still feel that the most important thing is they've got to make some good signings in this transfer window. That's their best way out of this.
2: So we're going to move on to ask adam now earlier this week we gave listeners the chance to send their questions through to adam to answer as part of this section thanks to all those who did we've selected several to test adam on right now adam had a drink ready
3: right i am prepared i am right. like i am i am focused i am in the zone um totally and utterly ready
2: okay here we go then right question cool. one <laughs> Our first question comes from Caroline, who contacted us via Total Saints podcast at yahoo.com. So, Caroline said, Having only been a fan of Saints for a couple of seasons and new to football generally, I wondered what would happen to Southampton FC if they were unfortunately relegated at the end of the season. Apart from the obvious of having to play in the Championship, I am curious to know how it would affect the club in other aspects of day to day and any future plans by the board. Could it mean the academy being affected in any way? And what about the Saints Foundation? Could it also mean staff across the club being made redundant?
3: Well, oh, that's a,
2: a good test to start you.
3: There is a good test to start. Um, well, I think the best thing to do is to, I can recap a little bit from, obviously I was covering the club and following it closely um, in my job when they were relegated from the Premier League the last time. Um, and, and so the, the impact, I think, is, is vaguely similar. Um, Obviously, you get the benefit of the parachute payments when you first go down. So I think initially it probably doesn't change a huge amount. I think most clubs, what they do is that they obviously scale back a little bit. I think some of the infrastructure projects that they're looking at at Southampton now, which were discussed with the uh, with Ralph Kruger. I imagine a lot of those would go on to on the pause. Maybe a lot of uh, potential recruitment that the club would like to do would go on to pause. Uh, But I would imagine the majority of everything else would kind of continue largely as it is. Maybe a tiny bit of scaling back, but not a lot for one season. Because I think you give it a go when you've got the, the, you know, you've got the parachute payments to come for a few years down the line. You give it a bit of a proper go at going, having the bounce back the first year. So you stay. Uh, kind of like as a Premier League club, but but in the Championship for year one, I think. If it doesn't go well in year one, if you don't get straight back up, I think that's the time that, that Saints uh, would reassess. And that would be the time for major change and major change inevitably, major budget cuts um, to try and protect themselves uh, for a potentially longer stay in the Championship than they would want. And that's only the sensible and prudent way to run the club. In terms of what that means... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that would mean uh, job losses, which is you know, it's one of the things, if, if I'm honest, one of the reasons I'm most uh, keen for Saints to stay in the Premier League is I have an awful lot of friends that work at the club and I, I would hate to see their jobs uh, under threat or at risk or anything like that. Because ultimately, one thing I can guarantee from having seen this before is that it's the people, the hardworking, honest staff who work long hours for an honest day's pay like uh, like all the rest of us do. They're the ones who end up suffering when the club get relegated. It's not the people that cause the relegation. I can guarantee you that it's not the players, the management, the board. They're not the ones that will end up suffering because they will they all earning a lot of money and they will got a lot of money. It will be the uh, the average the average staff that that end up suffering. And it was last time, sadly, when they didn't come back and obviously things got a lot worse from there, as we all know. Um, in terms of the academy, again, I think it would it would fall into the the same uh, the same boat that they spend an awful lot of money on the academy now Uh, we can argue all we want over whether the money's being particularly well spent at the moment given the lack of players coming through Um, but nonetheless they do spend a lot of money on it uh, inevitably I think they would have to scale that back if they became a championship club. But They would still, I'm sure, prioritise the academy for good funding, but they, they wouldn't possibly be able to fund it at the lavish level that it's funded now. The foundation, I, I'm, I'm less sure about what would happen exactly to the Saints Foundation. They, we, we know Greg, obviously, he's been on the pod, yeah. and they've got a lot of good people there. And so hopefully, hopefully they, they
2: would be able to find a way to be less affected by it, I, I would hope. I know Greg said to didn't he when he came on that they do get a lot of support from the Premier League. So I guess that would be the one concern for them, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. But obviously they are a, they are a charitable organisation. So even though the funding may may change, I guess that there are other ways and means for them to potentially try and raise money and get it in. They're not obviously they get a lot of their funding from the Premier League, from the football club, etc. But they're not only uh, solely relying on on that income. Uh, again, it, I'm sure it would have some impact, but you would hope it wouldn't be too serious. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think in summary, year one, probably you wouldn't see too much change from exactly how it is uh, now. Um, obviously, we'd expect to change in the playing squad, etc., but um, wouldn't see too many changes if they didn't come straight back up. I think year two is is the that summer after the first season of the championship is when you'd see a lot of a lot of changes.
2: Our second question comes from at vast majority twenty two via Twitter. He said, "If we get relegated, God forbid, which players are likely to leave saints." I can foresee an exodus happening as we have too many players who are too good for the championship and or won't want to play in it. And I was just going to add to that, Adam, because I I thought it would be good to ask as well. I know a few people have raised it when they maybe sign or when they they renew their contract, whether it's sort of highly likely that many of the squad and or anyone that signs now in January would have relegation release clauses in their contracts.
3: Obviously, all contracts are different. But uh, the one thing I know is that Saints, uh, as a club don't tend to rely too heavily on lots and lots of clauses in contracts you do get some clubs that do but saints prefer to have things a lot more straight down the line than that in their contracts Um, and i think that has served them well in terms of actually when they've sold players and they've made money because the contracts have been very clear about about what what is and isn't happening and in terms of a relegation clause the difficulty obviously they've got in just general terms of recruitment now is is not only have you got a find players that that are gonna, good enough to make a difference to you, that clubs are going to want to let go at this time of the year uh, and not get ripped off too badly in the process. you probably get ripped off a bit, um, but not too badly. But then you've got to convince the players to come. And obviously, at this point in time, it's, it is a harder sell. Mertrude Pellegrino said that he'd like permanent signings rather than loans. I think that's Uh, the right way for Saints to try and go because they need players coming in who are invested in the squad. And the the difficulty is where the balance lies for Saints, because they won't want to put relegation clauses in because obviously you may as well get a loan because less incentive uh, for performance there. But also right now, they're probably going to want to insert into those contracts the kind of clauses that Saints uh, got into a lot of contracts under Rupert Lowe, which was a, a 50% pay cut basically for the majority of the players if the club got relegated. Now, if you were looking at this situation, if you had a choice of clubs to go to that weren't all threatened with relegation, you wouldn't be too happy about going to a club, go, well, OK, well, I'll take a gamble on Saints in the bottom three. If Saints were going, oh, yeah, but you won't be able to get out and also we're going to cut your wages in half if we go down. Um, I think that a lot of players would turn around and go, well, OK, I'll go somewhere else then. The way they won't do that and where they're not threatened with relegation. So they're in a very difficult uh, bargaining position generally. And that's something they'll have to weigh up on an individual uh, basis, depending on what players they, they want to get in. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of negotiation with that, even though it's not something they would normally like to do. So I think hopefully that answers that part of the question in terms of who would go. Well, uh, I'm not going to run through the entire squad and and say yes or no, but I I think you would see a a fairly high turnover of players. I I would expect that. Um, I think that's one thing about teams that get relegated. uh, I've always laughed a little bit when I've occasionally had a glance back at the the sides that were playing in the year um, that Saints got relegated from the Premier League last time, and you look at some of the names and you go, oh, blimey, yeah, God, I've forgotten all about him oh I forgot he played for Saints you you know a bit like that and that's kind of I think that's what the one thing that worries me slightly is that there is sort of that slight faceless element to some of the uh, squad at the moment and I want that's you you feel like that's sort of a little bit of another thing that falls into the bracket of potentially history repeating itself but I think there would be a substantial turnover of players I think a lot of players would seek to leave the club but Again, it would be uh, only uh, there There were a few that you would go, OK, well, clearly they're established international footballers. Then they're, they're going to need uh, to they're going to want to leave for their own uh, sake. But then some of the others, they might want to leave, but Saints can't let everybody go. Uh, they're going to need a good team still. They're going to want a good team because they would still want to come back up. And also uh, I, I would I would also suggest that if you're in a squad that's just been relegated, that um, perhaps you're not as good as you might think you are. So do other clubs want you and would they pay the price that Saints would want? It's all speculation. Hopefully none of this will actually happen. Um, Hopefully we won't have to worry about life in the Championship too much. It is only January, but...
2: Um, yeah I, I I would expect a big turnover of players the moral of the first two questions to Saints then is don't get relegated
3: yeah that's right yeah oh my goodness this is really getting really depressing isn't yeah, it? it all the questions it, yeah. are about what happens when they're relegated no hey, it's the 14th of January
2: I know well I've already resigned myself so it makes it a bit easier to deal with I think anyway, <laughs> so anyway right question three the um, last one so Charlie Hawkins at Charlie Hawk 93 said I'm intrigued to know what Adam thinks about Bertrand's form and attitude this season I'm sure we all agree he's been a great since he arrived at Saints, but this season has been a strange one for him in regards to form and particularly body language. Has he got his eye on a transfer away, whatever happens? And I was also going to add on to that one as well, Adam, because I thought he looked pretty good going forward against Watford first half. But when you look particularly at the first goal, he just sort of stood watching without challenging it. And he had that incident with a a couple of idiots, I'll call them uh, after the Crystal Palace game, not necessarily directly because of his performance, but not particularly nice when you're getting fans in your face after a game like that. So... I know we don't want to necessarily pick on one player, but in terms of Charlie's question, and you see Man City at Liverpool without a left back and things like that, do, do you think he's someone that's probably looking to get away, whether they stay up or not?
3: I think that he is probably somebody who will be coveted by other clubs. Whether he's looking to get away, I, I think that's a that's a hard thing to to quantify and a hard thing to say, and I wouldn't I wouldn't wish to say that without uh, knowing for sure because I, I'm not in his I'm not in his head. Obviously, I don't know what he's thinking, but. Uh, He's obviously establishing himself as the England left back uh, going to the World Cup. He might well be the first pick potentially in that position for England as well. Uh, He obviously wants to play at as high a level as he can. Uh, At the age he is, he probably has one big move in him now. Um, And if it doesn't happen relatively soon, then it probably won't happen, I would guess. And so from that point of view, uh, it would be rather hard to blame him if he... um, had an eye on on something else um, he has done well for saints i I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see him go in the summer um not not that's not from any inside knowledge of of a deal being imminent or or being pre negotiated but I think uh, he's probably would feel that he's done his bit at saints he's he's sort of provided the service that's uh, been required of him and so or, or, you know I think this season for him probably has been a little more inconsistent than than he would absolutely ideally like. But I still think overall he's been pretty good for them. They still, when they play the right team in the right system, he is still one of the biggest attacking threats for the club for, from left back. I, I really believe that. And defensively, he's very solid as well. I think he would be um, very sorely missed, but it wouldn't overly surprise me if one of the big clubs decided uh, to take a punt on him at some point probably in the summer I guess
2: Excellent thank you Adam that's the end of this edition of Ask Adam thanks to everyone (laughs) well done Um, thanks to everyone who sent a question in and apologies to those who we didn't get around to answering this time Um, we'll certainly look to do another one before the end of the season so we'll try and cover off any questions that got missed this time but yeah Adam thanks and uh, well done We're going to end this week's episode with a quick look ahead to Spurs' visit to St Mary's next week, assuming Pellegrino is still manager by then, Adam, which I think probably is uh, going to be the case. It's not necessarily the ideal fixture in opposition you, you need when you attend Premier League games without a win.
3: No, not to <laughs> mind what happened on Boxing Day, um, and given that Spurs don't look like they doesn't look like their form has uh, uh, dipped much, judging by their result against Everton as well. So. Yeah, it's not what Saints need right now, is it? Um, well, conversely, uh, you, you have to try and find a positive because it, it, it looks like a horrible match for them right now. But if you can find a positive, it has to be that if the fight back is going to start somewhere, then you want it to be, uh, you know, what better way than a big team at home in front of your own fans? I mean, anybody who watched the... Uh, Bournemouth game against Arsenal probably would have thought the same there, and and actually Saints against the big clubs, yes they got they got, obviously got smashed by Tottenham, but they got a very creditable point at Old Trafford. They obviously drew with Arsenal as well. This is all in very recent history. Did right at Man City. Yeah, did right at Man City. So they're not without hope against the big the big clubs. They have played well. It's obviously that Tottenham were the one that uh, gave them a bit of a doing at um, at Wembley. So it's not really what you'd want but I, I honestly think that um i think maybe it's time for people to try and begin to accept that that he's just going to have to be a case of whether you like it or not trying to get behind him and trying to support him and the, and the team because um there comes a time when it's like well well we've got 15 games to go now there has been a, a slight improvement in performances um there have been has been a win and a draw in the last two games I don't really foresee at this point in time, unless something very surprising happens, that he'll be gone before the Tottenham game. And then you're beginning to look at 14 games uh, left of the season. Where's the value in changing him? Where's the value in changing once you get that far down the line? I mean, we're we're beginning to eye the running, really. I mean, I think that Saints, the longer they are sticking with him, the more likely it is that they need to stick with him for the rest of the season. Like I said, I think there comes a point where, Needs must as supporters, and, and it's, it's time to get behind him. And if something is to happen, then you just need one of these times as inspiration. You need, you know, the next couple of days, only this week, a couple of great signings to come in, and, and the mood's lifted, and suddenly a battling win against Tottenham, and everything feels so different. I grant you, it doesn't feel very likely, but if there's going to be a fight back, if it is to happen, it has to start somewhere, and and you know what better way than in front of in front of your home fans against one of the big teams.
2: How do you stop them, Adam? Because I think they're one of those teams that have always been really ruthless against us. you know, three, four, five goals. I know the goals at Wembley. I mean, pretty much all seven goals in that game were pretty soft from a defensive point of view. But if Saints are going to get something from the game, how do you go about stopping Tottenham?
3: It's very difficult, isn't it? There's a, The majority of teams well, outside of the top six in the Premier League are struggling to find a way to do it. So, I think if there was an easy answer to that question then then teams would be more teams would be doing it, but there isn't um they They almost feel a bit irresistible going forward at the moment. uh Saints have got two ways that they can approach the game uh, they can either be positive, try and press high up the field, and take some fairly in that case sizable risks that Tottenham will counter and will will tear them apart and get in behind them or they have to be very conservative and they have to just pile men behind the ball, try and their best to, to you know, frustrate them to play deep and then attempt to be uh, a counter-attacking team, which is obviously what I think is probably the most likely tactic Pellegrino will approach. He's been very conservative generally as a manager since he's been here. That is kind of his approach. And, it, and I think from his point of view, he'll feel like that, as we discussed in recent history, it's one that has served them relatively well against the bigger clubs and against uh, very potent attacks as well, which they've they've done well, fairly well to contain. Uh, can they actually, at any point, keep the ball, given that Tottenham will be in their faces, or, or will they just be continually giving the ball away? Which was obviously part of the problem at Wembley.
2: I was just going to get your thoughts on Harry Kane as well. I mean, obviously, as we always say, this is Hampton podcast, so we don't need to uh, talk too much about the opposition. But I think it- he's good. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it is. You know, it's hard to be anything but complimentary about him really after his record over the last couple of seasons you know thinking of it as an England fan he's someone that we're going to be relying on this summer for to have any success
3: yeah it's really nice isn't it to actually feel like watching England they're going to go into a major tournament where we have very low expectations probably by now but we also know that we've got an absolute top class goal scorer up front um it's a pretty rare feeling to to match those two things together in my lifetime as an England fan and so yeah I I think it's great I'm not going to witter on about Harry Kane because there's nothing that I can add to enlighten any
2: more than he's obviously top draw (laughs) Sean Sweet there we go perfect and you mentioned at the start Adam come on give Saints fans a bit of optimism you spoke to Pellegrino about transfers after the Watford game he said there was going to be two faces hopefully this week so can we expect someone in or somebody's in before the Tottenham game
3: Let's hope so. Like I said earlier, um, as, as we speak, I don't think that the Walcott deal is completely dead in the mind of Saints. So I think that is still something that they are working on that could happen. And then obviously they're looking for a, a striker through the middle. And obviously, there's, as you mentioned, the, the, the lad from Monaco is one of, I think, one of the options that um, they're pursuing at the moment. And I'm sure they've got a couple of other uh, irons in the fire as well. As I've said, I think that's the way it's gonna be. They we've they've got to the point now that the more I've thought about it, the more more I'm coming to the conclusion that for all the talk, I think now the moments have passed to do anything else. I think they've unless things got horrific, I mean truly horrific, they've got to stick by Pellegrino, they've got to give him their backing and they've got to get him a couple of quality players. Quality players and as i've said before proven quality uh, i'd be very disappointed if if saints um stick with this approach of bringing in players with no experience of the premier league unproven really just hoping that they pick off a couple of fringe players from a big squad abroad they think that's good enough because i, I that that is just taking at this stage a colossal gamble an absolutely monumental gamble um i just hope that they just give Pellegrino more to work with and then we can really see what he's about.
2: I should add, I'm only saying the lad from Monaco because I'm not I'm not convinced I can pronounce his name but just so everyone doesn't think I'm talking about Falco, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's probably what everybody
3: was thinking. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm just, just to clarify, we're talking about Ide Correa, I think is how you pronounce it, isn't it? But look, I mean, just just before we do our predictions, just talking a bit more about transfers briefly, Adam, I, I guess the concern for me as a fan is, you know, we're we're a squad of international players, you know, there's already a lot of foreigners in that squad You you look at history over the the Premier League years, you think of Sunderland last season, things like that, getting foreign players in with 15 games to go in a relegation battle. I mean, I'd much rather, whether it was achievable or not, You know, I was mentioning this to someone earlier, I'd much rather we were trying to go for a a Sam Vokes or someone like that, a Saints fan who will offer you something up front, get stuck in, put his body on the line, than a couple of foreigners that don't really necessarily care, don't understand what it's like to be a a Saints player or a Saints fan to come into the, the midst of a relegation battle.
3: Yeah, it's, as I said, it's difficult because you've got so many problems with actually recruiting players, given Saints' position now. Um, it's not easy to get players in through the door. Not many players want to sign up, come in and sign up for a relegation battle, do they? I mean, And the ones that are prepared to come and clubs are prepared to let them go at this stage of the season, well, why? Why are they prepared to come to a club that might, that's in a relegation battle and why are their clubs willing to let them go? It's not necessarily because they're absolutely top drawer, is it? Unless you're paying well over the odds, and I don't think Saints are, g- are going to be prepared to necessarily do that. As I said, I think that they've with with Walcott. I think that they maybe will pre- prepare to make one what what <laughs> to, back to the cliches towards the end of the podcast marquee signing. Oh yeah, like um, it, like it. Yeah, and I, I wonder if if the Walcott might be the one that goes against the grain. I mean, because you look at Walcott's profile. what is he tw- 28 now? He's going to cost a big fee because Everton have got involved now. They're going to be prepared to match his wages. So any thought that purely the area, you know, him coming back home would be enough to get a considerable pay cut or something like that probably won't happen. Uh, you you would probably have to give him three and a half, four year contract. No sell on value. So the 20 million and the full, let's say, 100, 120 grand a week for four and a half years. You're going to shell out all of that 100 um, percent. And you're going to get nothing uh, in terms of, you know, a fee back at the end of it, which is a very, very unsaints move. It's uh, it would be um, obliterating their wage structure. A move like that, um, but I, I wonder if they feel like they need to do it for somebody at least to inject some, as well as a good player, some sort of feel good into the club. If it's not to be him, then I wonder if they will attempt to do it with somebody else because I think they they probably recognise the need to, to try and lift the mood as well as provide some quality players for Pellegrino and I think at the very least the noises I'm getting looking attacking midfield and striker I think is the positions at least we would all say uh, well that's that's really where they could do with a lift
2: right football is a funny old game Adam so I want you to put 110% effort into this prediction um, right. come on over the moon if I get it right yeah that was two cliches <laughs> I just went straight over your head there but there we go um, <laughs> <laughs> right Spurs at home can we get anything
3: can they? Yes. Will they? Uh, am I doing a prediction now?
2: Yeah, you are. Yeah. It uh, sounds I, like I, a bad I, one. It sounds like a bad one.
3: Yeah. Sorry. I'm. Go- I still think I'm going to have to. Well, you never know. A big lift of a couple of signings might change things, but I can only judge on on where we are today as we speak. And uh, I, I'm afraid I have to go for a three-one Tottenham win.
2: Oh, you're not a million miles away from me there, that's so I've. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm the same as you. Under the current setup, I've gone Spurs to win three 0 So I'm not even giving us a goal. I'm afraid, but uh, oh, I just, uh, I just think refreshing. they'll, I just think they'll be too good. They're ruthless. They'll um, take the game to us. They'll pass it around us, and before we know it, it will be game over. The fans will be leaving in their thousands, and there'll probably be a white hanky protest.
3: Oh wow, wow! I mean, you've really built this as a good game, haven't you? This is something to really look forward to. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's we we know it's going to be a really tough afternoon for them. It would be great if they could get something, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think that their chances of staying in the league or not are going to hinge on games against the likes of Tottenham, really, are they? They're going to hinge on your, your Brighton and West Brom back-to-backs. When you go to Swansea, how do you do? That That's going to be the crunch games. You look at the table now, they're probably not even going to need 40 points to stay up, given the way that the division is and the number of teams that are being sucked into this now and they are within a... You know, you could throw a hanky over half the division, couldn't you? And with a couple of wins, you go from second bottom to about 10th. So you would just want to see, I think, a a spirited performance and some continued signs of improvement. And then anything you get from it's a bonus. But the the bigger games in the context of the season are probably to come.
2: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Total Saints Podcast. My thanks as always to Adam for giving us his time as well and again for answering the earlier Ask Adam questions. We'll be back again next week post-Tottenham when we'll also look ahead to the fourth round of the FA Cup when we'll be playing Watford's netball or should I say basketball or whatever they are team in the FA Cup. This is Total Saints Podcast. I've been Ben Stanfield. Keep marching in.
1: The Total Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year.